0: Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argendizo and Patrick Daly, and we have as our guest today Mike Van Norman, uh, also a project manager at Argo Translation. Uh, We are going to cover today uh, e-learning and the topic of e-learning. Mike manages a lot of those projects here, Uh, so we'll dig into that in a moment. But I thought we'd start with a news story. Um, This news story comes from Slater. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Slater is a really good resource for uh, news in the translation industry. And this specific story was about the California gig worker bill or the AB 5 bill, which basically challenges uh, the fact of subcontractors um, and how they're treated. In other words, are they treated merely as subcontractors or are they treated as employees? The gist of the matter is that in the translation industry and uh, interpretation as well, most of the work is done by subcontractors. And that's regardless of whether it's a company the size of Argo Translation or a company the size of TransPerfect. Uh, There are freelancers involved, and it's especially true of interpretation where um, those companies are faced with different needs every day, and uh, essentially they have a whole army of freelancers that are out and about. What the bill wants to do is say that um, those people should be treated as employees. So the folks that are subcontracting them would then have to consider benefits, they'd have to consider withholding taxes, they cannot They can no longer merely just 1099 them or send them a 1099 statement and rely on them to withhold taxes. And uh, it's really throwing a shockwave into the industry because, again, most of the workforce is subcontracted. So there's organizations out there, whether it's the American Translators Association and others that are trying to fight and gain exemptions. But it is, uh, it is a bit of a problem. Um, in fact, one of the leading, and I won't say which one, but one of the largest translation companies uh, in the world uh, actually sent out letters to all their California subcontractors and said, we understand you are a freelancer uh, and a 1099 freelancer for us. If you do not incorporate, which is one of the shields, if you do not incorporate um, by January 1st, we can no longer use your services. Thank you. Which is, I think, a bit extreme. I think there are um, there's certain points of the litmus test that will allow, to use, allow you to use contractors, and that is you know, whether they have additional clients. Do they have business cards? Do they, um, and the additional clients one is important because if you are their only client, then that sort of lends into the idea that they might be an employee. But if they work for 10 or 15 different agencies, they have the ability to pick and choose their projects which is also another litmus test. Do they have the right to refuse a project? Um, and you know, these are things that uh, unfortunately, this is sort of driven by the Uber and Lyft economies because they essentially don't, you know, they sign on to uh, the platform and they log in and they basically just take jobs. And those people fought really hard to try to get this thing passed so they can get benefits and, and uh, be treated as employees. Um, but I think it's a little bit uh, overreaching. I think it is going to damage an industry that relies very heavily on freelancers. And uh, the freelancers aren't upset either. In fact, if you look, turn to social media, you'll see a lot of freelancers that are uh, upset because they, they look looks like they're going to lose some business from some of the agencies. So it's, uh, it's very controversial.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least my opinion on it is um, you mentioned it kind of comes from the whole Uber and Lyft debacle and all how those employees wanted, you know, fair treatment, a little bit of benefits, all those kinds of things. Um, I think having it try and be a one size fits all bill is a little bit short sighted because you don't realize how many industries are freelance driven. Uh, So in my opinion, it's kind of like shooting a fly with a bazooka. It's a little bit of overkill in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree.
2: Yeah, it seems like <clears throat> it has good intentions, but the ramifications might be a little bit more than they were expected to be.
0: Yeah, and I think it really hurts California translators. I mean, if you look, if if wholesale agencies are just going to say, "Well, this is an easy solution. We don't work from translators. We don't work with translators from California." Obviously, that'll have negative ramifications. So, I, I think um, I would agree with your analogy. I think I had. Uh, In my show notes, I had written that it was, um, you know, a ball peen hammer uh, was necessary, and the government used a sledgehammer because I think that uh, I think there's, you know, far better ways to uh, um, to deal with the situation. And again, it's not like the contractors are upset. So, um, if you want to read more information on it, I certainly would encourage you to to Google uh, the California Gig Worker Bill and AB5, and you'll find some articles on it. But it's interesting, and I think it'll be. A discussion that's ongoing throughout the year so well why don't we roll into our topic as we mentioned we were going to discuss e-learning software and how it um, works in translation and there are quite a few tools on the market there's uh, Articulate Storyline and Trivantis's Lectora Adobe Captivate um, you know those just to name a few Um, some do some things better than others and I'm sure we're going to talk about it this in the discussion uh, obviously there's a lot of moving parts to this workflow i'm not sure which one of you wants to start but um, you know maybe mike why don't you get the conversation started there there, there are a lot of moving parts to this project why don't we go over some best practices just talk a little bit about how it works
2: yeah so e-learning kind of <clears throat> has every aspect of translation involved there's translation editing dtp narration subtitling review it, it pretty much takes all types Of projects and combines them into one because there's so many parts um a a one big game changer is uh if you're going to be translating the audio the spoken text throughout the project um that really is uh um
1: that throws a wrench into everything yeah (laughs) I,
2: i i i would say that would uh that adds a ton of extra time, and um, so, so
1: like, what's the biggest deal? If you had to pick
2: one thing that is the biggest deal about the workflow, what would it be? I would say the biggest deal is the the complexity because there's so many things happening at once, um, and in order to make the timeline relatively normal, at least in the eyes of the client, you have to have multiple things going on at the same time, side by side, in order to meet a normal deadline
0: so it's kind of a dance between the resources right because you know with voiceover talent studio rentals studio engineering the text layer and the files it's just there's a a lot of moving parts in fact Mm -hmm. I think that brings me to ask the question that you know one of these the big things that we often hear from clients is you know they'll try to give you the finished product and say hey here you go translate it but of course we always need the source file so the first step is just getting to that text layer so maybe patrick you can talk yeah. a little bit about it
1: uh, it's definitely important to get to that text layer, text layer because that's what we're going to be translating uh, for all of your on-screen prompts um, i think it's important to, you to mention for people who don't know what e-learning is it's kind of a video audio visual uh combination of you know just like a course something that you learn so we've done stuff for um for like package handling facilities we've done stuff for companies that um deal with driving so it's like you know how do you drive and then they have a video series with you know maybe some written questions on there to make sure you're paying attention and keep you engaged Uh, maybe some sort of display on the screen that has text on it. So that's what we're talking about when we refer to e-learning. So how do we get that text out of maybe we'll just receive a video from someone with spoken audio, written text on the screen. So we really need to dig behind that, get the source files out of um, any of those e-learning applications that we mentioned earlier, um, and then we can translate from there and kind of deal with the audio script, maybe get narration in like we mentioned too. So it is really important to dig behind the output that we would might get from a client and then Mike I know
0: with audio one of the wrinkles is as well is that you know, typically in an e-learning project there's just hundreds of audio files with yeah. naming conventions that are really how do you how do you deal with that you know that's it has to have pretty clear instructions I would imagine to the audio engineer
2: yeah it depends on the uh, software some of them have uh, better links for the audio text matching up with the audio files in which case that's great you can easily tell which text goes with which files but some don't in which case it's really best to just transcribe the full thing yourself and then use those transcriptions to link them to the audio files so that's that's another wrinkle for sure when there's when you're dealing with the spoken audio
0: so i think to kind of get into the weeds just a little bit um because it is an important part of the project i think it's important for clients to understand like To build on what patrick and mike are saying one of the common things is where a corporation will try to enforce a policy whether it's an anti-bribery policy or a sexual harassment policy they educate they give you some position on how the uh where the company stands you know what you need to know and then they quiz you and you have to answer and then you either have sort of a pass or fail component but along the way there's these audio files. And if you think of it, they're all tiny little, it's not just one recording, because it's not, it's divided up into pieces. So what Mike and Patrick are talking about is that there's, uh, for example, it might be number one, number two, number three, number four, those might be all the names of the files for either the question or the explanation, or you got that right, or you are correct, you know, those sort of (laughs) things. Those are all components that go into it they have to be translated, they have to be voiced over, and then they have to be linked to the final product so that the naming conventions are incredibly important, where you put them in the folder structure. There's a ton of complexity that goes into this type of project.
1: Yeah. And that also is a good point to bring up. There's all sorts of dependencies too. Let's say you get number one wrong. Will you be prompted with an audio prompt? Oh, try again. So we, when we look at an e-learning project, you know, they might say, oh, this is a 20 minute training course, but it might require 40 minutes of spoken audio because of everything you can get wrong, we have to find it, You have to assume you're going to get it wrong, and everything has to be translated and addressed. So you can't just take the main portion of it, assuming everything's right. You have to reach all corners of the project.
0: And I would imagine that would include as well, you know, the idea of embedded text, right? We talk of the idea of embedded text, whether it's in websites or whether it's print pieces that we do. And what we mean by that is text that actually uh, isn't editable within the program. So in other words, it's an image so then that's even another
2: layer uh, that you
0: have to look at as a project yeah, manager. Yeah, we,
2: we try and scan the full course beforehand, uh, before launching the project, to catch all of that text that's embedded. Sometimes we just can't catch it all on the front end because it would take way too long to dig through every single image. So uh, sometimes the embedded text will find stuff on the back end during our functional review of the final course. And then we'll knock it out then but yeah embedded text is a, another thing that you definitely have to keep an eye out for
0: and is that a spot where maybe a client should understand that they could potentially add a lot of extra extra cost right if the more content that they have in say an embedded photoshop files that are placed within the program um the more the cost right
1: yeah absolutely if there's going to be any you know extraordinary DTP involved or formatting involved outside of, you know, relatively normal things to clean up, you know, making sure everything fits on screen. But if they have to go into a separate file type and start working there, like you mentioned, Photoshop, or whatever the other file type might be, that's going to kind of ring the register on DTP fees.
0: Well, and multiplied by the number of languages as well, right? So if it's a 10 language environment, now you have to do that image 10 times. So you... If you're doing 100 images and now you have to in 10 languages, that's 1,000 images, that's a huge spot where people can save some money. Try to include everything in a text layer if you can. Right? Yeah. And, and time. And time, absolutely. That's also very important.
2: We try and uh, let clients know after we've worked with them for a bit and gotten used to their type of project to uh, really get that stuff in a text layer for that reason.
0: So, Mike, let's talk a little bit about runtime length. You know, um, I, I recently saw, was a, uh, I watched an Italian movie with my folks over the weekend, and it was funny because there was a, an interpreter. And um, the Italian gentleman was a politician. He spoke for about a minute, and then the interpreter said six words. So obviously it was a joke that he. the interpreter decided to ignore most of it. And then... The politician sort of looked and then said something that was about six words and the interpreter spoke for two minutes. So just kind of playing on that. Runtime's important, obviously, in this uh, type of project as well.
2: Yeah, rule of thumb is uh, to keep the spoken audio translations as short as you can. Um, It becomes pretty cumbersome if all of the translated runtimes are longer than the English runtimes the source run times because then there's a lot of extra DTP of trying to extend slide length to match the times. If it's uh, audio that goes along with the video, then that's really difficult to stretch out a video that's already been recorded to include an additional five seconds. You have to speed up the the uh, audio to make it kind of squish it together, get a little ch- chip monkey almost. If, if it's too long, to I like to call fit. that Univision.
0: it <laughs> yeah. was just 400 miles an hour and yeah that that's actually a really good point point. and I, I think it brings a good point up in terms of the translation um, uh, I've always heard the project managers talk about just visual checks, right So if you're looking at the translation side by side and you see that the English is about a line, let's say you know, let's say it's 60 characters, whatever it is, you know the translation should be similar and realizing that that's not always easy. that's not yeah, always an easy thing to do
1: yeah it's not easy but i mean on on the the other side of the coin we don't want to hear um let's say i mean for instance german gets longer we don't want to hear someone speaking way faster than someone would normally speak just to squeeze that audio into the same the same length as it would in english so we try to avoid that at all costs so we don't want it to sound funny to the user when they're listening to it because i mean we can tell and and we may not necessarily speak the language but we can tell if it's going way too fast
0: and that brings us to the next point, which I think is uh, talking about balancing those resources. Mike, you had mentioned that you know there's certain things that go on at certain times, and one of the points you brought up was um, that you know while the e-learning project um, is, like, say, being formatted, might be a good time to do the audio. If you could speak a little bit to sort of the steps and sort of the order on that that part of the project.
2: Yeah. So for um, the actual translation of the text shoot to have the audio text translated first so that you can get that off to the studio then the translators move on to the actual on-screen text of the course finish that get that off to formatting and we can work on the actual course text while the the audio is being recorded so that hopefully when the audio is done being recorded the course is ready to get it integrated. So when you say audio integration, what exactly does that mean? Um, It could be as easy as swapping out the translated audio files with the English files from in the program. It's often not that easy, though. You have to uh, fiddle with the lengths, make smooth out transitions and stuff um
0: depends a little bit on the program then i would imagine
1: yeah and also the length of your your translations and your recorded audio if it's like we were just talking about if it's it's longer you have to address it somehow you can't just ignore it and let that part get cut out
0: it seems to me that you know a common theme is that um with some of these best practices that you're bringing up if you're not careful especially in a multilingual project Mm -hmm. it could be a huge cost overrun uh the, the ability, in other words, or the, the sets up the situation where you'd get some overruns.
1: Yeah. And if if possible, if you know you're going to translate a course, I mean, you can have that in the back of your mind as you're writing the English course. You know, if you're thinking you're going to go into languages that expand, maybe leave some breaks in there, some natural pauses where maybe we can slide those translations in if they go a little bit longer. So that's something you can certainly consider before you even send us the project.
0: That's a great rule of thumb, I think, with translation in general, right? Whether we're talking yeah. about print or always one of the best practices we talk about is let white space be your friend, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, because certainly without you know some of the Asian languages will contract, but otherwise most languages will expand uh, when they're on paper. Um, so all right, it sounds like we've made our way through the translation. At this point, we've integrated the audio, or we've uh, we the audio is in. Um, what's next?
2: Pretty much a full blown review of the final course. We we package the course and we let the linguist have at it as if they were a real user. And they will go through, take the course, click on every answer, get them wrong, click on all the buttons. You know, kind of beat it up and make sure that all the functionality carried through. Um, Clicking on answers doesn't take you to the wrong slide. Basically do a full review of all on-screen text, make sure nothing's cut off like like you would with any normal project, listen to the audio, make sure the audio is being consistent with on-screen text, check out the subtitles, if there are subtitles, make sure it's lined up with the audio, Um, It's just a really intensive review of the final product.
0: So is that the process you referred to earlier as functional review in other words? okay well that 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 makes a lot of sense typically just out of curiosity I know there's no rule of thumb but sounds like some things get uncovered in that step
2: indeed Um, depending on the program we like to review and use PowerPoint kind of as our format in which we point out things that are wrong when you're on a slide that you notice something wrong or something needs to be tweaked or maybe change the text a little bit take a screenshot of that slide and in PowerPoint, you can point out what exactly needs changing. And then you have a nice full list of all the changes in the course that need to be made.
0: Well, that's uh, nice because that's almost like a great checklist. These yeah, are the things exactly. that need to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, similar. sounds similar to what we do with functional review of a website as yeah. well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Um, are there any other quirks? I, you know, I'm not sure who wants to jump in on this one. Are there any other quirks or things that are a little bit out of the ordinary, things that we need to pay attention to when doing an e-learning project?
2: We already talked about um, embedded text, but there also can be like animations that can even have embedded text, which uh, can get kind of hairy. That sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, like a word bouncing around a screen or even if there's
0: i want to see a german word with like 20 syllables bouncing around the yeah
2: way.
1: i don't know why i'm just thinking of the old batman cartoons where they pop that word at you making the sound <laughs> i feel like in translation that would be a huge issue the good
0: news is pow probably is universal so more be... about kapow yeah that one, that one might require some localization um well that sounds terrible i mean it's probably probably a bad idea to maybe do that right i and i think that's Brings up an important point. You know, there are some things that just because the program does it doesn't mean that it's a good idea in translation. Because again, that's another spot where now someone has to translate what's in that animation and modify it and do the work on it. And quite frankly, it might be annoying. If it is a six syllable <laughs> compound German noun, that would be terrible. Nobody would get it.
1: Right. And like you mentioned before with embedded uh, image text, if let's say you do that 10 times, times 10 languages, that's going to add up to a lot of work to do some little animation that. Might not be super valuable to your your course as a whole.
0: What about fonts? You know, obviously, people use if if Chinese uses a completely different script
1: than um, Latin characters.
0: So, how do you deal with that?
2: Chinese is usually no problem. Um, All those programs have accounted for Chinese, but we've run into times when some of the crazier ones like Thai or Tamil...
0: There's an entire country that's really upset with you for calling their language crazy right now, but we're going to let that go, Mike.
2: It looks crazy to us. Mike's email is... Oh, no. Um, But... Why is Thai problematic? We've run into times where the program actually won't support that language. Say this was the first time we had done this language in this program. We had known ahead of time and so you, you have actually written to the company and ask about it and they said yeah as of now we don't support that language so um in one instance a workaround we did was basically instead of using the layer of text in the program we had to take a picture of each set of text put it in a, a, as a picture in all the slides. So essentially we, we got created a, embedded test. Yeah, text. we got around it, but it ended up taking a lot of additional time. But um, yeah, so that's something to we've learned to keep in mind before committing to a language in a new uh, program.
0: Probably good to do a little tiny pilot test or yeah. something. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. I mean, it's it's funny in this day and age because having been in this business 26 years, you know that was something... 26 years ago, 20 years ago, it was common. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd go into a program. FrameMaker was a great one. It's like, oh, officially we support six languages. <laughs> and, you know, you're being asked to publish in 20 languages for a release and you have a problem. Like, hey, we don't really support that language. Oh, my gosh. So what do we do now? Um, it doesn't happen as much, as, and it shouldn't with Unicode fonts. Um, but I, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's that it's even sure.
1: comes up in certain video projects, too, if we're even doing subtitles. Sometimes we'll we'll integrate subtitles into a video and we'll get it back, let's say for Thai or Tamil or some alphabet we don't see every day. And it'll come through as all boxes and we'll have to, you know, mess with the encoding, get it in a format that it will work.
0: Right. Depending where you're going, whether it's YouTube or where it's being published, obviously there's different parameters. Um, How about names? I know that comes up from time to time where, you know, let's say the speaker, uh, you're using an extended character set, uh, say it's in Chinese, um, And perhaps the name has to be transliterated or not transliterated. What are some of the things that people should think about?
2: This comes up um, more often in e-learning than it does in a lot of other projects. Just because a lot of times there's a host or a narrator kind of taking you through the course. And they might be interviewing other people as part of the training. And so that's something you really want to nail down with the client and the translator before tackling the translation of names because sometimes they'll want you to transliterate or sometimes it's okay to leave them in English, but um, you need to make sure you're being consistent because the names will appear in the audio, they'll appear in the subtitles, they're, they'll appear on screen, and then you need to make sure that the uh, studio is recording them correctly if they've been translater- right. transliterated. So there's that
0: component as well, and it's important to ask, right, because mm-hmm. um, there are some some people that say it's a business person that travels a lot to China they may have a specific transliteration of their name and yep. it's good to ask because you want to use that transliteration and the same is true vice versa because there are some chinese business folks that will have adopted english names and it's not merely taking their name and making it english they've chosen something they may choose tom they may choose whatever it is it's good to know how do they want to be how do they want their name represented i think that's important mm-hmm. Um, how about with some of these things? Isn't there sometimes, you know, I know when we do PowerPoint, um, sometimes there's the speaker notes or sometimes there's handouts that go along with them. Does that ever
2: come up? It does, yep. Um, <clears throat> that is uh, another thing. they will maybe be, uh, like you mentioned, handouts to follow along with the online course, uh, maybe some sort of a quiz or yeah, quiz to take afterwards um, that will be printed out. So that's another thing to ask for when um, you're quoting on an e-learning project or working with a client to see if they have any supporting materials that you also want to include with the project.
0: Now, it sounds like obviously there's a bunch of moving parts here. Uh, Do any accommodations need to be made? Patrick, maybe you can address this one. In terms of timelines, it sounds like With all those moving parts, I should really be thinking about allowing for some time. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, um, typically, like uh, we've been talking about, these are more complex than sending us a simple Word file and having us translate it. Um, So these are going to take longer. um, But we can do things, like we mentioned earlier, maybe translate the audio first and kind of stair-step that process rather than do everything consecutively. We can kind of do a few things at once to make it a little bit quicker. uh, But just overall, these uh, e-learning projects tend to take longer than a standard written project
0: with all that in mind (laughs) it sounds like these projects are a lot of fun or maybe not or how how do you feel about mike you've done a bunch of these tell us a little bit about you know what you think on these projects
2: well they're almost the most rewarding because the end project product is so cool um you get like this whole in-depth course that takes all aspects of translation into account so I would say they're the most fun um, just at the end. In the middle, they're a little sticky, (laughs) but at the end, they're definitely worth, uh, they're the most rewarding, I would say. Isn't that usually the
0: case? You know, oftentimes the more complex projects are the most rewarding because there's something very cool that sits at the end. And I also think, think of the impact that you have. You know, when you're doing something like this, whether it's an anti-bribery or sexual harassment or you're, um, you know, doing an e-learning on a specific topic like, like driving or...
1: You're helping a lot of people, right? Right. We, we took a course, um, our IT partners for cybersecurity, you know, make sure you don't click on spam emails, that kind of thing. It's another type of training that we needed. So we've done, we've taken e-learning courses here at Argo too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, with that in mind, I always like to come back and ask, what is your number one takeaway from today? Uh, let's start with Mike. What's, what's the most important thing that you would say out of all the things we discussed, what would it be?
2: Oh, boy. Um... <clears throat> I would say that functional review step, because with all all of the work you put into it, you need to thoroughly review that final course to make sure that everything was done
1: correctly.
0: Sounds like an important, especially even to avoid embarrassment, avoid a, yep. a rollout that doesn't work. That, that makes a lot of sense. Patrick, how about you?
1: Uh, my biggest takeaway would be it's super important to scope the project on the front end. As we've mentioned, we can do dozens of different things with one project whether you want narration or not whether you want subtitles or not uh, do you want certain on-screen text or embedded text translated so at the beginning of the project we may ask you a lot of questions but as we often say there's a method to the madness there's a reason we need to know these things because we don't want to get to the end deliver the project and then there'd be surprises. So it's really important to hammer out that scope before any work starts on the project.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think I, I agree with that. To build on that, I would say, you know, I take it even a step further and, and say that, you know, even before you create anything, having a, a a quick kickoff call with the translation service company to talk about what languages you're planning to go into and what tools you want to use, that's when all that good stuff will come out. Because all too often, right, we get the call and it's It's already been created. It's already been developed. And they need it tomorrow. And they need it tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. So better to plan early. Um, And with that in mind, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Translation Confidential. And until next time, this is Peter, Patrick, and Mike signing off. Thank you.